Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, June 5th, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 2, There is a Solution, on page 24, with the very first paragraph, beginning with, The Fact Is. And today's readers are Kim, Sally, Sharon, Melanie. The share ID number for yesterday's meeting, Tuesday, June 4th, 4575. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 steps. Can you hear me? Indeed. Thank you. Uh, I am Rose uh, B. from New York, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I pass. Thank you. I will now call on Margaret Kay to read the 12 traditions, please. Yes, good morning, Larry. Good morning, Bishop, for you. This is Margaret, recovered in South Jersey. Number one, the 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are our trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA 
every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker's should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in chapter two. There is a solution on page 24, the very first full paragraph beginning with the fact is, and I will ask him to begin reading, please. Thanks, Maya. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey and so excited, so excited to read this. This is the crux of our problem. This is the reason I'm unable to go to a conventional diet program and get a food plan and just follow it. I have lost the power of choice in drink. Another way I heard it said was I've lost the power of choice to stay sober. I have lost the power of choice to stay abstinent. That is the crux of my problem. You know, some of the sayings we hear in programs with the best of intentions is just wrong. You know, I've heard, think the drink through. Just think the drink through. You know, if I was able to do that, then I could go to a conventional diet program. If I was able to bring into my memory with sufficient force the pain and humiliation of yesterday, of breakfast of a couple hours ago, and if I could think that through, then I wouldn't be a compulsive overeater. You know, I got hurt a few years ago, and I was in a lot of pain for a lot of time, and there were certain pain medications that I had bad reactions to. And no matter how much pain I was in, I understood, and I could think it through. I'm not taking that pain med. I don't want to have those symptoms. But I can't do that when it comes to the food. I have that mental twist that I that tells me this time will be different. 99 out of 100 times this happens, but this is going to be the one time. And this is why I could stare at a food plan all day long and it didn't matter. I could worship abstinence and it wouldn't matter because I have lost the choice in drink. I am without defense against that first drink. For years, I thought, if I can keep myself to 1,500 calories, then I will be okay. And if that 1,500 calories happens to indulge in my binge foods, that's fine. Because if I can keep myself to two or three of them, then I will be okay because 1,500 calories is what's going to make me thin. 
But it's that first strength. That is why I cannot stay sober. That is why I cannot stay abstinent. And if you're listening to this meeting, and if you think you just keep it green, which is another saying we hear in the program, keep it green. If you think fear and the fellowship is what's keeping you abstinent, that is just luck. That is just luck because fear and fellowship is human aid. We have to get to a higher power because the, the sufficient force of the memories we do not have. We are delusional. Our disease will tell us this time is different. Our disease will tell us the humiliation and the pain is, is just an accident. So the trick in this program is not just to be abstinent. The trick is to be abstinent and be happy about it. And the only way that we're going to be abstinent and be happy about it is to do these steps, these steps have a spiritual awakening, be reunited with a higher power, and walk hand in hand with that higher power. And with that obsession removed, we will not want to eat. And if we do not want to eat, we're not going to trigger the allergy. And if we don't trigger the allergy, we will not get in that vicious cycle of the doctor's opinion. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. This is Katie. Katie, go ahead. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And, you know, this is, as Kim said, this is the crux of our problem. We forget we have a disease that has no memory, and I get the idea in my head that it's going to be different. Um, so it's not as, you know, as we've said over and over again, it's not the perfect food plan. It's not the perfect um, combination. But it, it does involve putting the food down. Um, because I don't, I don't have a mental problem with foods that are not my binge foods and that are not um, the combinations. I don't, you know, I don't think about food all day long today. But I did when I was still ingesting um, my binge foods and those combinations that were killer for me. So it is... Um, you know, so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. You know, I was trying to chase after making my external circumstances such that I would not want to eat. I thought that I could convince myself that I wouldn't want to do this anymore because I would remember, because, you know, I would, I would have hit bottom and I would wake up and I would think, oh no, certainly, certainly I'm not going to do that again. I know I'm not going to do that again because, because I remember how bad it is. And then before I knew it, I had popped food in my mouth that was not abstinent food. So, you know, it, it takes a relationship with God and um, it's not humiliation, it's humility. It's humility for me to say, I can't do this on my own. And it's not another person that's going to get me abstinent, but it is another person that I can be accountable to, that I can admit everything that is going on with me. And, you know, I turn things over to my higher power, but I am also accountable to other people. I'm not talking on this line and then slapping my kids around. I'm not talking on this line and then eating whatever I want. You know, you all are listening in faith that I really am living this program because you've never seen me, most of you. But um, I can't muster up that willpower. That's what these paragraphs are telling us is that we cannot do this on our own. Uh, we need the relationship with our higher power and this program is built on working with others, sharing our recovery, and doing the work to stop that mental torture. And, you know, without it, um, I am without defense against that first bite. I am not the one who gives me 
that um, willpower. It comes from my higher power. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Katie, anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Monica. This is Paula. May I share? Monica and then Paula. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Wow, wow, wow. Here, very, very important paragraph. It's got the squiggly lines. Um, very important here that they're giving us some information that we need to understand. So we're in the solution, a chapter in the solution here. But here we're, we're still reviewing what our problem is here, what's going on with us. The big book is telling me what my problem is here, very clearly. What is my problem? I am powerless. And I must understand this. I must understand this. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, obscure, not clearly seen, have lost the power of choice in drink. And why is this? It's because we have a disease. And it's a twofold disease. There's a physical aspect that if you ingest a binge food, you are going to set off an allergy, an abnormal reaction in your body, and you are going to crave more and more, and you're going to have to eat. But the bigger aspect of this disease is the obsession of the mind. And this is the greater aspect because we will believe the lie that our mind tells us every single time. And all our determination, all our willpower, all our self-knowledge against this is absolutely no use at all. The lie will win out every time. And we don't understand this, you know, for reasons yet obscure. We don't understand, and we don't need to understand why our minds are this way. They are. We are compulsive overeaters. It's a fact. I have this disease, and there's a physical aspect and the mental aspect. So, so if I don't have any power here over this, and everything I've tried for uh, 40, 50 years hasn't worked, what's the solution? What do I need? I need a power that's greater than me. That can take care of this. That can overrule this crazy, insane thinking of mine that will talk me into that first bite and make me think that's the best idea I've had in a long time. And it also talks here, we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. Hell, I couldn't even remember the suffering and humiliation of the binge of the night before. That's another part of our mental obsession, crazy thinking part of this disease. We are great forgetters. We have no memory of the pain that this disease causes us. And we can have perfect memory in all other aspects of our life. But when it comes to this, we are powerless. So what's the solution? I need a power that's greater than me. I have a spiritual problem. I need a spiritual solution, and it's called God. And working through these steps is going to give you that relationship with God who can do for you what you can't do for yourself. So hang on, people. Keep on listening. The solution's around the corner. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Paula, please. This is Paula. Grateful indeed. Recovered compulsive Rita. like to start that first line, and there is the beginning. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice to drink. That word lost. You've been there. I have too. It says, gone from our hold. Our view, I couldn't see anymore. Not to be found. Ruined. You come along here? Wasted. Forfeited. Oh, what I forfeited. Perplexed, how can I understand this? It makes no sense. I do what I don't want to do. I say I'll never do it again. And yet, so shortly after, and may I add, the times got shorter and shorter. But this last one alienated from the only power that could help me. God himself. 
And I'd like to now scoot down right to that last line. We are without defense against that first drink. When you know that, a defense is a guarding against danger. I had none. How do I know I had none? Because I used everything. Everything that I had. And it wasn't enough. I was always in the same place. I was running, running, running. And going nowhere. And going nowhere. But once I knew that, can I tell you, I did finally go somewhere. When I finally tapped into that unsuspected, didn't even know I had it. With that, I do pass. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you so much. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, we're revisiting this paragraph. It's in italics because it's really, really, really important that everybody gets this. It was important that I understood that this was the greater aspect of my disease um, because, you know, once we understand what the true nature of the problem is, the greater aspect of our disease resides in our mind, then we can attend to that. You know, all action is born in in thought. It says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. You know, lack of power, that is our dilemma. Lack of power, our so-called willpower, becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago, and sufficient means adequate. You know, this is a mental problem. It is a mental twist. Uh, the big book talks about the obsession of the mind, the mental obsession that keeps giving me permission to pick up that first bite. This is about the first bite. This is not after I've finished, you know, a cellophane bag and now I'm digging my fist into a bakery box. This is, why do I start this all over again? The real problem is in my mind that convinces me I can eat that stuff, that I can indulge in those eating, uh, in those substances, in that behavior. That's the real problem. And until I believed that I had this mental problem, there was no reason for the steps. You know, there was little serious or effective thought of what the consequences were going to be for me. My mind would just say, you know what, I can't feel any worse than I already feel, so I might as well just go ahead and take that first bite and start it all over again. I, you know, and I always felt worse. And when I was about to take that first compulsive bite, I could not bring to mind the suffering and the humiliation of of even last night. My pain had no memory. I couldn't remember the tears. I couldn't remember the lengthy discussions with my husband about how I can't stand uh, the way I'm living and I, you know, and I I uh, have suicidal thinking and and all the isolation and the deep depression. I couldn't remember the threats of divorce. I could not remember the mental tur- torture. I couldn't remember the emotional turmoil. I could not remember that. So the real problem centers in my mind telling me it's okay to take that first bite rather than in my body that ensures that I can't have it. So I take that first bite based on a lie, based on a lie that this time will be different. Even though I have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of, of examples and episodes throughout this career of compulsive overeating, that that is not true. We take a bite based on a lie, and then, of course, the allergy takes over, and we end up binging our brains out. And so our real problem is not in our body. (laughs) That's not a real problem. It's a problem, but we have a much, much worse problem. Our real problem is is not in our body that ensures that we can't eat those substances, but in our mind that ensures that left to our own resources, we're going to try to eat that substance again. We just lack a power. It's not sufficient enough. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Melanie. Melanie, go ahead. 
Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered here in Oregon today. I read this um, in this way. Um, So-called tells me that, in fact, I've incorrectly used the word power here. Our so-called willpower, and as you just listened and heard from Leah, we have none. That is our dilemma. We have none. And then when I go back down to read the next line, we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory. That doesn't tell me I can't bring it into my mind. There have been many, many times where I've had that fleeting thought, I shouldn't be doing this. I am crazy to be doing this. And it was such a small voice that I didn't have sufficient force because I had no power. Our so-called power, and to really re- to restate that, it's an incorrectly calling that that word. That's the best that Bill W. could come up with in this part is that word of power, and he's wonderful with words. You know, we're coming up with the limitations of our language here to call these things these things. I have a memory. I've had a memory. I've heard the memory. I've remembered, but I didn't have any power. I couldn't do anything about it because this is not about any of those things. I have a disease, people. I have a disease. And I'm up against trying to understand this with whatever ever anybody else is saying that push yourself away from the table, Melanie. You have, you know, this overeating thing. You're overweight. It's just a situation. I don't have a doctor in the world that's going to tell me that I have a disease. They're going to tell me I'm lazy and I'm stupid and I'm of no use. People around me, they're going to shy away from me. They're going to laugh when I break a chair. They're not going to tell me that I have stage four cancer. And then support that with medical proof and evidence. So I'm down this hole with no hope. But I have some memories sometimes. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit controversial here. I've I've had a thought. I put this word, so-called, which is incorrect word used for the word of power. I have no power against it, but I don't have the real understanding of what it is. And with that, I want to pass. Thank you, Melanie. Let's move on. Can I share? Sure, get in there, Nancy. Go ahead. Oh, all right. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Nancy here from Lewiston, Idaho, recovered compulsive overeater, and um, I'll be brief. I just, I really struggled with this part of the big book at one time. Um, years ago, I was working with a sponsor, and she, I would, you know, I my justification for why I kept eating, I said, it says in the big book that I'm powerless over that first bite, you know, and I would use this paragraph and say, you know, so what am I supposed to do? I'm doomed, and and which I was right there, I was doomed because I had no power and um, I had a disease as I have now learned that if I picked up, it led me, and I had physical cravings so bad that I wouldn't be able to stop and then if I did stop, I had a mental obsession that was even worse than the physical allergy that would keep me from being able to stay stopped so I didn't realize that at the time and so, um, but she kept telling me that the first bite was the only bite that I had power over, that I made a choice pick up the first bite and um, I would point to this very paragraph and say but then what does this mean and, and she never really could offer me a explanation it's just that she kept saying if I picked up it was because I chose to and I get that I make the choice to pick up the first bite but um, you know I'm a little bit I remembered when I would pick up I could remember the suffering the the crazy insanity in my head though was I had that horrible message that I would believe, hook, line, and sinker, that this time was going to be different. I could remember that I crawled in the garbage can to get food out that I'd thrown away the night before. I could remember that, but I believed that this time was going to be different. And man, that one would get me every single time. And bottom line, I wanted to eat, and so I listened to any justification that came in my sick little head that would... um, make it okay for me to do it, but that was the most powerful one for me. This time is going to be different. So um, my experience was a little bit different in that, you know, most of the time I could remember the suffering. I, I know where food has taken me, but um, I just kind of wanted to um, share on that paragraph just because for me it was it was confusing way back before I understood the, the um, true nature of my disease, and that is that the main problem centers in my mind, and this kind of uh, reinforces that the main problem is in my mind. I do not have power within, you know, I don't know, of my own 
um, to keep from picking up that first bite. I need a spiritual experience to relieve the obsession of the mind to keep me from picking up that first bite. And I get that by working the steps. And the steps are found in the book that we are reading very thoroughly. And I appreciate that opportunity. So thank you for letting me share. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. We are on page 24, and we're about to start reading the second full paragraph. Sally, would you please read for us the second full paragraph? Yes. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. This is Sally, a recovered compulsive overeater. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. What a powerful paragraph. And here again, we see more on the problem. I'm reminded that all roads lead to Chapter 5, How It Works. And that is where we're going to find our steps. And uh, that very first page of How It Works, the very bottom, it says, remember that we deal with alcohol, for us food, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. And that's what I'm reminded of when I read this, this paragraph. The, the real problem, the cunningness, the bafflingness, the impossibility to control. You know, that is a big part of my disease is my, my thinking that I can control this somehow. And through the many years, you know, I came into this program at the age of 22, over 30 years ago, and I remember thinking, first time I went to a meeting, I'm going to do this thing, whatever they tell me to do. And when I walked in and they said those first words, and I heard them read those first words from the steps, we admitted we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. I had almost this audible feeling of my shoulders slumping. Oh, thank God, I'm in the right place. I don't have to try anymore. These people get it, that I am powerless. It was a tremendous relief. But even so, I had that tremendous relief of hearing those words. Still, for many years, I didn't get it. I'd go to meetings thinking that the solution was three meetings a week, three phone calls a day, pick up the tools, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And not to say that these things are not part of the solution, but it was not the solution. I remember realizing that, you know, hearing for years that OA was the last house on the block. And, and when I finally came to a vision for you, and really I, had, I really was a whipped dog because I was really scared that OA wasn't going to work for me, that I was going to be that person who did not have the ability to be completely honest. I, I really had started to entertain that thought, wow, that could possibly be me. And when I came, even after being in a vision for you, I'd still fall into the food. And that is because I still didn't get it. The solution, even though a vision for you to me is a tent in the backyard of the last house on the block with a little light in the, in the tent, there is a wonderful thing here that we have in a vision for you, and that is a flashlight is being held on these pages because the solution is here in this book. The solution is in the steps. The solution is in the power that our higher power wants to give to us. And we will come to find that solution as we, as we all roads lead to that chapter how it works as we reach those steps and that's what's being done here it's setting me up to be reminded reminded of that feeling in the morning of waking up and my first thoughts forming oh god what did i do last night and then remembering oh my gosh i'm in the food and that horrible anxiety that would come over me remembering oh my gosh i'm in the food and i don't have to have that anymore i don't have that today thank god and i don't have it because I've come to 
these pages in this book, and I'm so glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here this morning, and I'm glad I'm here in general in the books of, in the pages of, of this big book. And with that, I pass. Thanks for letting me share, Leah. Miriam? Thank you, Sally. Miriam, go ahead. Hi, this is Miriam, compulsive overeater. Um, and what stuck out at me was the idea of threadbare. Like if I would look at a something in my closet or my kid's closet, it would be threadbare. I obviously wouldn't put it on. But even though like when I get the idea of taking that first bite again, I know it's threadbare because I somehow in the back of my mind know that I've done this many, many times and it didn't work. Actually, it had the very much opposite effect. But I still, for some reason... I don't know why, just keep doing it again, even though it's completely threadbare, and that is really the insanity of it all. And that is why I'm looking forward to reviewing the solution, because I did do this, and somehow I think I'm having amnesia, and that's, I think, because I stopped doing it for a year or two and kind of forgot it all. So I'm looking forward to hearing it all again. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Kim. Kim. Go ahead, please. Good morning again, everyone. This is so essential. This is the delusion. This is the delusion that will bring us back to the food, which is why the mind is the crux of our problem. There are almost certain consequences to follow even taking a glass of beer. Well, I bought it from the health food store. It's organic. It's a diet form of my binge food. All those rationalizations that we use. If those thoughts, all those thoughts of, you know, it's organic, it's whole food, it's da-da, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time, this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. Because isn't that the delusion of every compulsive overeater that I will be like the normal eater? But let me tell you, let me tell you what a normal eater does. I can meet a friend who's a normal eater for dinner and she can come in and go, you know what? I, I'm really hungry. I realized I forgot to eat lunch. I never forget to eat lunch. And they will, my friends will come in and they will order appetizers and they will share those appetizers. And they will order an entree and then they won't have most of it because they were so distracted in the conversation enjoying the people, they really don't want the food that they ordered. And I have one plan specifically that always has to have chocolate. Always, every time we go out to eat, she orders something chocolate. And she has two or three bites of it, and she pats her stomach and gets a smile of satisfaction, goes, oh, that was good. And she doesn't finish it. That is a normal eater. I don't want that. I want to eat like I want to eat. I want to eat like an animal, and I want to look like my friends. So that old threadbare idea is even an illusion. That old thread by idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. No! I want to handle myself like a compulsive overeater and I don't want the freaking consequences. That is the delusion. I don't want to have a couple big pieces of chocolate and go on with my day. I don't ever want to forget lunch. I don't ever want to share my food. Absolutely not. That threadbare idea is a delusion. And until we recognize that it's not that we're believing a lie, but we're actually delusional in our thoughts, we're not going to address the real problem. And the real problem is our thinking. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I comment? Yes. Monica. And then Monica. Thank you. Mm. In such good company I am. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I want to go to that part that was read before, and it's if these thoughts occur, they are hazy, and this is in the middle, readily supplanted with that old threadbare idea that this time we shall hand it ourselves like other people. Now, I want to just back up for a moment, and it, it says on 24 at the top, this tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. Okay. I didn't even suspect it. Whoa. Hmm. Now it's getting more and more real because it's more and more of my life. It's taken over more and more. But this beer, that old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. Honey, you're not like other people. That has to be so clear to me. My eyes are green. 
there'll always be green. Now, my hair, well, that changes at times. But my eyes are always green unless, unless there's a surgery. Now, look at the means to change your eye color. That's it. That's the only way. Other than that, my eyes are green. I am not like other people. Not when it comes to compulsive eating. But knowing that, the door opened. I stared so long at that door that was closed to me that I failed to see the door that opened for such a long time. But just in time, God's timing, I finally did. With that, I do pass. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Paula. And Monica, please. Thank you, Leah. Monica again. So the big book here is telling us that we need to understand that our thinking is our problem. So here in this paragraph, we're going a little bit further with this thinking issue here and the different types of thoughts that we have. This is the almost certain consequences, the results, the effects that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. The majority of the time, we don't think it at all. We get the crazy, insane thought, you know, I'm feeling some unease here and that cookie is going to make me feel better and bingo into it we go. So that's some, you know, that's what happens a lot of the times. But then it goes on to say, and this was brought up a little bit earlier, if these thoughts occur, so yes, sometimes we do get a thought that, you know, this might not be the smartest idea. Well, you know, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. What's going to happen? You're going to go crazy. Well, but they're hazy. And and this is the important thing here. They are readily supplanted, replaced, forced out with the old threadbare, overused idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. You know, I can remember having a crazy thought and thinking, Monica, this is not a smart idea. You're going to hate yourself later for doing this. And I knew that. But my mind would say, oh, it'll be different this time. It's okay. You can restart tomorrow. Is this insanity? This is the mental obsession. This is the overpowering lies that my disease would tell me. This is where I am totally powerless and this is why I need God. Because I couldn't do it on myself and I would believe the lie every time. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. You know, that, that memory is lacking. You know, if you put your hand on a hot stove when you're a little kid, we learn, boy, that hurt and I'm not going to do that again. And, for, and we have that memory. And we're not going to do it again. But this is where our disease comes in. For some reason, our memory isn't sufficient enough for us to really go with it. Instead, this lie comes in and says, it'll be different this time, Monica. It'll be okay. You'll be able to get right back on the program tomorrow. And you know, once you pick up, then it sets off the physical allergy, the abnormal reaction, the craving, and you're off on the roller coaster, and who knows when you're going to end. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Leah. Yeah, the big book is giving us, you know, a very detailed education now about the greater aspect of our disease and, um, you know, highlighting the insanity. That's exactly what this is. It's insane. Uh, we're all familiar with with step two, right? Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So if we've got to be restored to sanity, then that indicates that we must be insane. <laughs> you know, people think insanity means once you've ingested, plowed through that cellophane bag and bakery box. No, the insanity is 
picking up that first bite to begin with. It says the almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves with like other people. So, I mean, we we might have some memory that floats up, you know, between our ears, but we've got this denial situation going on that this time will be different, this time we'll be able to manage it, this time we'll be able to have a few bites and stop, this time we'll be able to start again tomorrow, um, you know, and and there's no struggle and there's no resistance. If we do recall the consequences, you know, I'm going to get fatter, um, I won't be able to attend to my family, I won't be able to wake up on time tomorrow, whatever consequences, you know, my, my doctor will breathe down my neck, my diabetes is escalating, whatever consequences do float through our brains, it's hazy. It's hazy, and it's supplanted. It's replaced. Uh, so there's no struggle. There's, there's little or no resistance. There's no fight whatsoever. Our mind is on the ease and comfort that we're going to get uh, once we pick up. That's the powerlessness that the big book is, in ta- is talking about here. You know, I, I'm not a stupid person. I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, but I'm fairly bright. I have a good enough memory. And see, if you know, if I burned my hand on a hot stove, uh, chances are I'm always going to remember that. And indeed, I have burnt my hand on a hot stove, and indeed, I remember that. And I take lengths to protect my hands when I'm working on the stove, right? I wear a, a mitt. I, take, I go to any length in order to protect myself. Because I know the consequences of that pain. I remember the pain and suffering of being burned by flame. Now, binge foods uh, and compulsive overeating has burned me over and over and over again, but for some strange reason, left to my own devices, left to my own resources, I could not remember what compulsive overeating did to me. All I could think about was what it was going to do for me. It says there is a complete, kind, complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Complete. Now, I want to take that line and invite you to turn to page 84. Turn to page 84 and look at the bottom of that page. This comes after we have completed steps 4 through 9. And now they are uh, introducing steps 10, 11, and 12, the maintenance steps. Okay, look at the bottom of page 84. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity will have returned. We will be able to see the truth. We will be able to see the truth. What is sanity? Sanity is wholeness of mind. It's completeness. It's a mind that can see the whole truth. And make decisions based on that truth. It says, for the, by this time sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. So exactly the opposite of what's going on here on page 24. Instead of sticking our hands into the fire, into the cellophane bag, we recoil as if from a hot flame because now we can see the whole truth and we can make decisions based on that truth. We have been restored to sanity. And that is the crux of the whole program, that this relationship with God will accomplish that which self-will and self-knowledge could not. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Melanie. Melanie, go ahead. Hi, this is Melanie, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, This has gotten me going. I typically don't share. I have other things I do during this time for sure, but this is really important. And if you didn't hear what Leah had to say, what she's saying is that um, I had no connection between putting my hand on a hot stove and how that satisfied me. So I didn't go there anymore. I wouldn't do that anymore. But what I did have with food is it made for that 10 seconds, for those five seconds, whatever it was, gave me that sense of ease and comfort that was above everything. The feelings that I had, I could not handle. I couldn't tolerate for one second. So what we did, and as Monica indicated, that the word supplanted simply means 
It's a scheme and an idea that was forced. So above all, all sane thinking, I practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced insanity because I had supplanted into my own mind that that feeling for just a few seconds was worth everything, everything in the world to me. And only a person with this disease would do that sort of thing over and over and over and over and over again for 50-some-odd years so that that was the only predominant primary feeling, thinking, action that I would ever take. That I had arrested my maturing, my development, my my age to the single digits when I started picking up and developing that particular idea over that two, three seconds, five seconds, ten seconds of, ah. And then she went on very crappily in case you didn't catch it. On page 84, after the steps, I'm restored to sanity once again. Put the food down. Now, don't leave us. We're going to keep going on. You're going to figure, we're going to share more of the solution with you. Okay, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Let's move on to the next paragraph, please, with Sharon. Good morning. This is Sharon, and uh, I'm a, I am a recovered eater. Our next paragraph. When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual... Excuse me, Sharon, one paragraph up. The alcoholic may say to himself... I'm sorry. Okay. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, or here's how. So here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way? and after the third or fourth, pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have thought, have that thought supplanted by, well, I've stopped with the sixth drink, or what's the use anyhow? Well, this paragraph is, uh, this could be my autobiography right here while I was in the food. It won't burn me this time, so here's how. I was the one who always said to myself, a little bit won't hurt. That was my mantra. A little bit won't hurt. A little bit won't hurt. Very similar to saying, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. So for me, it was, here's how. I'll have a um, well, you know, the people in France, I, I read an article many years ago when I was struggling with my food. I read an article that uh, the people in, in uh, France are really great health. And so for me, in my uh, twisted thinking, I thought, well, the people in France drink wine, that keep, they're healthy, and they eat a lot of bread. Now, I, had, I have actually have a physical allergy to bread. But I thought, well, the bread, the wine, the people in France do it. Well, that, that should work for me, you know. And so I went on a bread and wine diet, you know. And I have to tell you that it, I really got screwed up just drinking wine and eating bread. But in my twisted thinking... For some reason, and even it sounds like a, just maddening. It sounds crazy, especially with someone who not only has uh, the food addiction, I have a physical allergy so that eating wheat causes me to have arthritic symptoms. So, but I, the thought was that, well, if I just had it with wine and I went on this type of diet, I can't even imagine right now what could have caused me to think of that, that that made sense. And it just really screwed up my system. And yet, this is how I lived. This is something I thought was reasonable. 
And I did this type of thing over and over and over again. And I would, I would, for instance, I'm allergic to dairy. Yet I thought I would think, well, cheese, it's, it's not really dairy because it's processed. And then I have some dairy or I find a diet that had a little ice cream, half a cup of ice cream at the end of the day after you had eaten certain ways. And so I'd end up with having a half a cup. And quite honestly, a half a cup probably would have made me, uh, my my system, I, what happens is I get, I produce a lot of mucus. I get asthmatic when I drink or eat dairy. And probably if I could have restricted it to a half a cup, I wouldn't have ended up in the emergency room. But what happens with the half a cup is that I can't stop. And so I'm with the whole half a gallon and then in the emergency room. And then two months later, it's right back at the same thing. I've forgotten all about that. And I'm back at it again. And and I and I, I this is me. I say this very same thing. How? 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 Why? I must be crazy. I must be insane. And then I go right back and do it over again. And I did that for four decades. And until I got to the point where I I couldn't do it anymore. I got to the point until I where I was sick and tired. I could not imagine life with the food. I couldn't imagine life without it. I was in absolute and complete despair. And I admitted that I couldn't do it anymore. There was no hope for me. And by the grace of God, I found people that had recovered and they showed me the way and I just did what they did and I keep doing that same thing one day at a time and by the grace of God I am recovered also now as a result of just one day at a time just just doing um, what basically what I've been shown what I've been told but I have to say it's gone one step further than that as I have done what I'm told and just done what those who've who've recovered are doing, what I have received is a great relationship with my higher power. I have received freedom. I've received um, a better awareness of who I am and the role that I play in life. And all for just making that decision to no longer trust my own mind, to accept what others have done, to reach out to that hand that's already reaching toward me, to grab that hand and to never, ever, ever let go. And I, by the grace of God, I stop trusting my own mind when it comes to food and drink. And I accepted a program of recovery that, yeah, you could poke holes in it. And many people try to say, well, this isn't working, this doesn't, doesn't work. But I know that that person who has my hand is still recovered. And I am not going to let go. I am keep, regardless of what anyone says and any holes that they poke in it, because I too have recovery and I've had it for 12 years, and I'm not going to let go. And with that, I pass. This is Thank Patricia. You. May I ask you a really quick question? Get in there, Patricia. Go ahead. Okay. Yes, I just wanted to share just a tiny bit on the doctor's opinion where it talks about on page XXIX. This is repeated over and over unless this person can experience an entire psychic change. There is little hope for him for recovery. I just wanted to share that because that's like where we're at and it was just, it just, okay, thank you. Bye. Well, may I share? Way to about end. Andy? Let's wait until after the meeting. We're going to close up, and then we'll have an opportunity for everybody to comment, please. Thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Melanie, are you available to read a vision for you? I am. Thank you. Good morning. This is Melanie again, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.